Welcome back to the History of the Barbarians podcast, Season 1, Episode number 18, The Battle of Adrianople, Part 4, The Aftermath. My name is Josh Hirschman. When we last spoke, we went through the Battle of Adrianople and the fate of our Goths, that of Valens, and of his army. Today I'm going to go through what actions the Goths took immediately after the battle and the seceding months. To recap, the Romans had lost two-thirds of their army with the rest, including the leadership, scattered throughout the countryside. The Emperor Valens was dead and his body was never recovered. The Goths on the other side had suffered significant losses as well. They, in the morning, regroup and march straight to Adrianople. They had learned that Valens had left his top advisors, the imperial standards, and the treasury under guard within the city walls. So it is the morning of August 10th, 378 CE, and the leadership of the Gothic forces held a war council to discuss how to take the city. Fritigern apparently was interested in trying to take the city through diplomatic means or through the use of sympathetic forces within the walls, such as the native Roman Christians. As we have mentioned in the past, Christians within the empire had supported the Goths and other barbarian groups in their fight against the empire in the sense of my enemy's enemy is my friend idea, and that the Christians did not always feel welcomed by the Romans. In this case, it could have been more to do with the Arian and Catholic split within the empire at the time. Valens, who was an Arian, like most of the Goths, had been an outlier in Roman politics and in Roman society in general. The death of Valens must have been foreboding for the minority Arians in the empire and those fellow followers within the city walls. So those followers that may have been Arians within the city walls may have been inclined to help the Goths over their Roman citizen brethren. Many of the other commanders, presumably Alatheus, Saphrax, Seritus, and Callias, urged an attack on the walls of Adrianople. As was the Gothic way, they voted and Fritigern was on the losing side. This is another episode that always impresses me. A group like this, made up of mostly Turingi Goths, Gruthungi, Alans, Huns, Roman citizens, Roman soldiers, exiled Gothic warriors from the imperial charge, slaves, and others, were able to democratically make decisions. This is an incredibly diverse group of people finding common cause and settling manners in a democratic fashion. We think of the ancient world as dominated by decisive men and ideas of strength that do not always lend themselves to discourse, but that is exactly what we see within this Gothic story, and in this instance, it is no different. So, attack it is. The Goths lay siege to the city by midday. The soldiers, for five hours, try to scale the walls and enter the city. They do not have any advanced siege machinery, which, if you remember back to Keneva and other Gothic leaders as they campaigned throughout the 3rd century, this prevented them from capturing any large cities then. The Goths probably knew how to make ladders and battering rams, but these basic siege engines were not, on their own, effective against large-walled cities like Adrianople. Other methods would need to be employed for the Goths to break into the city and capture the royal treasury. After five hours of fighting, Fritigern is able to bribe 300 Roman defenders to his side and tries to use them to enter the city. They're at once impeded in their success, though. A large thunderstorm quickly rolls in, and the Goths give up on the assault of the city and return through the camp surrounding the city. During the night, 
Fritigern sends a messenger to the city with letters taunting the Romans inside about their impending doom and encouraging them to surrender. This reminds me of many stories in history, but in particular the Nazis at Dunkirk dropping leaflets to the British troops urging them to surrender themselves. Fritigern is working on some other forms of intrigue to get his troops into Adrianople. He convinces some of the 300 soldiers that defected to him the day before to enter back into the city and claim that they are trying to join the Romans again. Once betraying the Romans were back within the city, they were questioned and tortured, which is something that is not a surprise to anyone. Considering just hours before they were considered traitors to the Romans, and now they seem to want to be Romans again. Under torture, they revealed that they were supposed to set fire to part of the city and cause mayhem within the walls. This would distract the defenders and residents from those walls, giving the Goths easier access to the city. But the Romans stayed at the wall and as the Goths tried to attack again. But wise to the Goths' plan, the Romans stayed at the walls and repelled their attack again. From their high position, the defenders of Adrianople were able to hurl any item down as the Goths tried to scale the walls. The defenders used arrows and javelins. Slingers were also hurling their projectiles, probably stones. Rocks, pillars, and other heavy materials were also being used in defense of the city. The city fought back the Goths, and at nightfall, they had to retreat back to their camp. After three days of trying to take the city, on August 12th, the Goths needed to make a decision. Fritigern seemed to be no closer to leading his people into Adrianople than he did when he started. His people needed to be plundering and scavenging for food because of the large number within the camp, and while they were assaulting Adrianople, they did not have the ability to find enough food for a long-term siege. Further evidence of the desperate state of the Goths occurs at this battle. Amianus notes that during one of the assaults on the city walls, the Romans noticed that the Goths were rearming themselves with the arrows and javelins that the Romans themselves were sending down from atop the ramparts. Therefore, the Romans tried to cut the binds that held the projectiles in place so that they would break apart after one use. The Goths truly were in a difficult situation militarily, but if they could break in and capture the resources of the city, not to mention the imperial treasury, their fortunes would have changed. But the Goths could not linger any longer and send more men to break on the seemingly impregnable walls of Adrianople. They had to move on and find other means of food, supplies, weapons, and armaments so they could then position themselves for a strong place at the negotiating table with the Romans. The recent victory at Adrianople and the death of Valens made a strong argument, giving the Goths a voice, but they could only capitalize on their successes if they were still strong. Losing more men in a siege on the city, while more starved, would only weaken themselves and give Gratian who is, as a reminder, in Thrace still at Castra Martis, giving him an opportunity to take advantage of the Goths. Gratian was close enough that he could choose to move in and threaten the Goths' position in their weakened state. Also, the remnants of Valen's army, who certainly were not battle-ready, but they could be used to supplement the previously mentioned forces, were nearby. The decision was obvious for Fritigern and the other Gothic leaders. They must move on and feed themselves. 
The question is, where should they go? They could not go north to Moesia and Fear, as that area had been ravaged by two seasons of fighting and scavenging already. There would be no more food there than where they were currently encamped. They could not go west, as that was the direction of the Roman forces that could defeat them in battle, and the Goths were not in a position to fight another major battle like Adrianople in such quick succession. Since Adrianople sits at the beginning of the Catalca Peninsula, there really is only one direction left, east to Constantinople. This appears to be a bad idea, because the Goths know that they cannot take a large walled city, and that they could not even threaten Constantinople with a long drawn-out siege, because the city can be reinforced so easily by sea from its safe harbors. Constantinople will survive sieges from this very method several times over the course of the next 1,100 years. But this direction ironically meant less Roman forces, and just as important, untouched fertile land ripe for the plundering. The Goths head to Perinthus, which is modern-day Marmara Eriglisi, on the coast of the Sea of Marmara, about 100 miles or 160 kilometers southeast of Adrianople. The Goths are able to plunder farms and small towns on the way to the coastal city, fattening themselves up and resupplying their army. When they got to the city, they did not lay siege to it as they knew they could not break down the walls. Instead, they just ravaged the countryside around the settlement. The Goths are now about 50 miles or about 90 kilometers from Constantinople. They still need to move because their people still need to eat, and they are growing again. After the victory of the Goths at Marcianople, in the subsequent year of fighting, more Goths from the north of the Danube, Goths in the service of Rome, slaves, and poor Romans had joined Fritigern and his Goths. Now after the victory at Adrianople, they are attracting those same groups to the ranks again which, after the losses at Adrianople, surely would have been needed. Additionally, any Goth in the service of the Empire was in for a rude awakening after the death of Valens. Amianus states that a general named Julius, who is now the Magister Militum, or the head of the armies for the Eastern Empire, sent a message throughout the Eastern Empire to execute any Goth that was in any Roman town on a specific day. When this day came, the Goths were to be led outside of the town to the suburbs, where they would be promised payment that was owed to them. When gathered at the appropriate place, the Goths would then be slaughtered. Amianus claims that this was a very effective strategy, and many of the Goths employed by the Romans were dispensed. But I'm sure this plan would have been impossible to keep totally silent in the run-up to the secret day. Any Goths within the Empire would have felt uneasy regardless of any knowledge of this clandestine plan, and would have moved towards Fritigern's people if they could. Additionally, some would have heard of this plan, and hightailed it out of there as fast as possible. The result of this is that the Goths would have increased in military strength, but they would have also added more women, children, and elderly to care for and feed as well. This means they still needed to move. They continued on towards Constantinople, and this is where the story for Amianus actually ends. He tells the story of the death of Valens and the next couple of weeks of movements for the Goths and the Romans, but he, it ends with a strange story about Constantinople. He says that the Goths marched right up to the city gates of the eastern capital with plans to try to take the city. The only thing that stops the Goths, or so it is implied by Amianus, is a group of mercenaries who just arrived from Arabia that he calls Saracens. 
It is said that these soldiers fought on horseback and were more used to sallying out of a fortress or fighting in a mobile kind of active form of warfare. Supposedly, this enabled the Saracens to hit and move from a distance and decimate the Goths. Then the Goths are scared away by the sight of an Arab warrior who made a big show of sucking the blood out of a Goth that he stabbed in the throat. After witnessing this act, the Goths were scared off the battlefield and retreated far away from the city. I think this story is questionable. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me for a number of reasons. First, why would the Goths choose to attack Adrianople? Give up, then plunder and not take another city, parenthes, this is all according to Amiana still, only to try to attack the largest city in the east with the best fortifications. Yes, this is before the Theodosian walls, which will be built in the near future. But the city still has formidable defenses. It was the capital, after all. Secondly, the size of the Arab force that would fend off the entire Gothic army would have needed to have been significant. Valens was having trouble pulling together the troops that he did for Adrianople, let alone hire a bunch of new mercenaries. As a writer, Amianus is trying to paint the Romans in a certain light and is trying to paint the enemies of Rome in a negative light. And he can easily disparage two groups of people in a couple of short paragraphs with this story. He can make the Saracens sound like vile savages that will not hesitate to drink of human blood and make the Goths sound like cowards. He had at times credited the Goths with valiant fighting abilities. He had at times credited the Goths with fighting fiercely, but he attributes most of their successes to their hundreds of thousands of warriors and their sheer numbers, which we know is not true. I think that something else happened. I think the Goths did get close to Constantinople. I think that some may even have approached the city close enough to say that they marched up to the gates. I even think that some Saracen mercenaries chased some Goths away. But I think that it was at a much different scale as to what Amianus claims. The Goths were probably plundering further east towards Constantinople, and a group got close to the city. When they were attacked by the aforementioned Saracen cavalry, they were defeated and retreated away from the city. Amianus takes pains to state that the Goths decided to try or to not try to lay siege to a walled city throughout this narrative. He does not mention this detail at all in his telling. Now, that being said, this is just conjecture on my part. The Goths could have very well tried to attack the city and were defeated. We already know that they had made poor decisions when attacking heavily defended walled cities on this campaign when they attacked Adrianople with an assault on the walls. Fritigern was outvoted by the other leaders, and it is conceivable that this type of scenario could have played out again at Constantinople. So, Fritigern's group retreats away from the eastern capital, and they begin to look for fresh lands to sack again. They move west and take a different route from their approach to the capital, plundering as they go. This takes us to the winter of 378-379 CE. Meanwhile, Gratian, who during the Battle of Adrianople was still at the fortress in Castramartis in modern-day Kula, Bulgaria, Gratian had covered over a thousand miles to march to the aid of Valens, but when he was only 350 or 550 kilometers away, his uncle was already dead and the Goths were heading east towards Constantinople. Gratian then, inexplicably, opted to do one of the last things that we would expect. 
He did not pursue the Goths. He did not move in to finish the Goths when they were weakened after the battle. Gratian packed his troops up and returned to the western portion of the empire to secure his holdings. The fact that he had his own barbarian problems to deal with in the form of the Alemanni on the Rhine border region certainly factored heavily in this decision. He's going to take his legions and go home. One thing that he does do shortly after the Battle of Adrianople is to recall a young man to take control of the forces in the region that are shattered and spread out throughout the countryside. This general will eventually rise to great heights in the Roman political system. This man's name is Theodosius, and his first task as general is to try to defend the empire from the Goths, which seems like a daunting task at this point. The Goths, though, for their part, are looking for ground that they can survive on and a way to position themselves to negotiate with the Romans for a political settlement to the current situation. They were, they were not able to take any major cities, such as Adrianople, Perinthus, Philopolis, because of their lack of siege warfare machinery and experience. The one city that they were able to capture was Nicopolis, which is in modern-day Bulgaria near the town of Stare Nikop. The ranks had been replenished by the influx of refugees, and conceivably, they have armed themselves with further captured Roman arms. Their position is still difficult, though, as the threats of starvation are never far away from their large force, and they are behind enemy lines, albeit weakened enemy lines. But the resources of the empire, certainly the ones available to them throughout the history of Rome, seem to be endless, and the Romans will be back. So that is a good place for us to stop this week. Next time, we will discuss the Roman response to the Gothic victory at Adrianople and introduce Theodosius as the new emperor in the East. Some of the materials that were used for the episode this week were Adrianople, A.D. 378 by Simon McDowell, Rome's Gothic Wars from the 3rd century to Alaric by Michael Kulikowski, Failure of an Empire, Valens and the Roman State in the 4th Century by Noel Linsky. Amianus Marcellinus's Res Gestae. And if there's any other recommendations for source material, shoot me your suggestions on the Facebook page or on the Twitter account. If you like this podcast, please subscribe so you can follow along on our journey. Leave a review on the podcast platform of your preference. Those good reviews help others find the podcast and our journey that we are taking together. Check out the History of the Barbarians Facebook page and Twitter accounts for some images and additional information on our characters this week and overall. And I'd like to thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.